Thanks for tuning in to the Renew Life Church Lubbock podcast today. We hope this message encourages you as you allow God's Word and His presence to change your life. Good morning. Good morning, Renew Life. How you feeling? Like a million bucks right now? I know I do. That was one of those like take a hot lap around the room during worship type services, you know? So, so good. What? Don't tempt me. <laughs> Listen, all, all, all I need is someone to commit to going with me. If I start like running circles around the room. Okay, we got one. Anybody else? Two, three. Yeah. It's some, sometimes that like the worship really, it'll just, it'll get you there. You know what I'm saying? I love it. Um, I'm super excited to uh, be in, in the room this morning. And I'm really, really proud of you for being in the room this morning. It's obvious already that the spirit of God is here. The Spirit of God is here. We have worshiped Him. We have held Him in high regard, and His presence is here. And so I'm just really, really excited, and I'm really, really curious to see what the Lord might be cultivating in us through the gospel this morning. So before we dive into it, let's pray, and let's just welcome the Lord in increased measure. So your responsibility here in this prayer, I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to pray over me. I'm going to pray over the room. But your responsibility is to begin to just welcome the Lord to cultivate something inside of you. Did you come to receive? Did you come to get poured into? Did you come to pour out? Come on, this is the moment where we cultivate something inside of us and we say, Lord, your presence is here. Now let it do its work inside of me. As we've poured out our praise to him, now is the opportunity for us to receive something for him. So let's cultivate that. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for this morning. And I pray that your presence would just be increasingly more known, felt, sensed, and yes, experienced. Lord, that we would experience your presence. And what that looks like is, is you're gonna shift things inside of our hearts. We're gonna feel some butterflies. We're gonna feel some tingles. We're gonna feel some nerves. We're gonna feel some things. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the awareness and the quickness to respond to what it is that you are doing in our hearts and in our lives this morning. And Father, we say yes. If that's your prayer this morning, would you just say yes? Yes, Lord, we welcome you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Title of my message this morning is Behind, Beside, Before, The Nature of Our Good Father. Whether you know this or not, our highest calling, our largest responsibility, and the reason for which we live is for daily union with the Father. Daily union with the Father. I love these moments of large expressions where it's so obvious that his presence is in the room. We get to experience him in worship and through drum breaks and ah, like vocal shouts and all the things. Like it's so easy to feel him in these moments, right? But what the Father actually desires for us and with us is to live in day by day, decade by decade, connection to the Father. Moment by moment, union with the Father is our highest goal. What that looks like for me practically in my life on a regular basis, I'm talking about at kids' sports activities, I'm talking about Christmas parties, I'm talking about as I'm going to sleep at night, I'm talking about as I'm in an argument with my wife, I'm talking about every single moment, the good ones, the bad ones, the happy ones, the sad ones. It looks like asking the right questions and taking the questions to the Lord, such as, Father, where are you now? What are, what are you saying to me now? 
Where is your presence now? How would you lead me now? How would you guide me now? Much of living in connection with the Father is actually having the ability and the presence of mind to simply slow down and process and ask the questions of the Father. Where are you now? What would you say now? Let us never be the types of people that get into reactionary mode. Something happens and I've got an immediate response. Something happens and I'm firing off an insult or I'm firing off a middle finger on the loop or I'm like, let us never be the people that live by reaction, but instead let us be the type of people that live by response to what the Father is saying and continually cultivating inside of us. And it looks like slowing down with questions like, Father, where are you now? Father, what are you saying now? And Father, what is your heart now? I think that oftentimes it could be a daunting thing to even approach this, to make the life pivot in the direction of slowing down and asking these questions because there's this fear inside of what if he doesn't meet me in my question? Come on, let's be really honest. What if I ask the question, what if I slow down and I don't, I don't feel anything, or I, don't, I don't hear anything? So you'd rather avoid the opportunity Avoid the situation where the Father might actually let you down. Can I promise you something? I, I promise you, if you will slow down, if you will take much of what we will learn today, incorporate it into your lifestyle and begin to take the questions to the Father, I guarantee you, he will meet you in that place with answers. I, I guarantee you, he'll meet you in that place with answers. Daily union with the Father is our highest goal. I want to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. This is after the story of creation. God has given Adam uh, the, uh, the responsibility to rule and to subdue the earth, to name all the animals. He's given him a wife, a companion, an azer, a helpmate, and Eve, and they are living in bliss. Perfect union, unity with the Father. Perfect union with the Father. Let's start reading in Genesis chapter 3, verses 8. I'll be living out of the, reading out of the New Living Translation all day. Not all day. Actually, just the next 30 minutes. I'm not going to preach all day. I promise you that. Genesis 3, verse 8 through 9 says, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And then listen to this. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? I want to pause here for just a moment. Where are you? This is a question that we're going to come back to throughout the course of the message today. Where are you? I want you first, even now, before we dive in deeper, just to ask your soul. Ask the Father even, where am I? Where am I? Are you finding yourself unsettled? Are you finding yourself in disrest? Are you finding yourself still on a high from this monumentous worship encounter? Where are you? And let that be your non-negotiable starting point. I find it very interesting, a couple observations in, in these first couple of scriptures that we've read. Isn't it wild how quickly, how quickly we can allow discontent to settle in our hearts? I want you to imagine with me a perfect situation where God himself is in direct contact with Adam. He is in direct contact with Eve. They're in daily union with the Father, but how quickly we can settle into discontent. And then what the fruit of discontent becomes 
They find themselves in a moment where the Father isn't in the garden, but they know he's coming. The cool of the evening is coming. The breeze is going to blow, and we're going to walk on, we're going to walk with our Father through the garden. Yet in a moment, discontent settles in, and there becomes this wondering of, yeah, but what if we did it a different way? What if we abandon what the Father has asked us to do, asked us not to do? What if there's a better way? I challenge you this morning in your own perspective. Don't allow discontent with people who are leading you, guiding you, with the Father as he delicately leads you and guides you. Don't allow discontent to settle in because the fruit is made obvious in the story. Another thing I observe is this. In verse 8, when it says that the cool evening breezes were blowing, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God. What this says to me is that this was actually a recurring thing. It's as if they knew, okay, it's evening time, there's a cool breeze blowing, and they knew that this is the time that is consecrated to walk through the garden with the Father. Otherwise, why talk about the time of day? Why talk about the weather condition? This is not the first time that the Father has met them in the garden for these walks. And then the third time, the Father actually knew every answer to the questions that he walked in asking. Come on, isn't he omniscient? Isn't he omnipresent? Hasn't his nature never changed? He is the God today that he was then. So he walks into this garden, and what does he do? He chooses to ask a question. Why? Why does he choose to ask a question instead of just saying, Adam, Eve, get up from behind that bush. I know you're naked. Let's handle this thing. I believe the reason he walks in asking questions is because it points to the very nature of who he is that is more interested in relationship with you and a dialogue with you. He's not coming and scolding, stand up from behind that bush, I told you what to do. Now go to your room and think about what you've done. Instead, he welcomes them into this place and he says, hey, where? I want you to hear the emotion in a father's voice as he walks into the garden. It's the cool of the evening. There's a cool breeze blowing and he's like, this is the time that I've made space to walk with my son. Where are you? Imagine the heartbreak of a father who's given his son everything that he could ever desire, everything that he could ever dream of. And he walks into the garden, hear the heartbreak of a father as he asks the question, where, where are you? I believe he's asking you the same question this morning. He could just bring a rod of correction into your life. He could just rip the thing away. He could just strip the sin away. He could rip the responsibility, the job opportunity, the pride, the guilt, whatever. But instead, he asks you the question in relationship and connection, where are you? He's committed to relationship with you. And the correction of the Father is never separate from the connection with the Father. I think it's very important to realize that he came in asking questions of intimacy. Don't you sense the urgency of the Father in this moment? How often do we just read over it? Where are you? We settle it into the context of our own life. Maybe you've got employees, you've got those entrusted to your care, you've got kids, you've got kids on the way. And we get very comfortable with these questions of discipline, like, hey, why'd you, hey, shh, 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 why'd you do that? Why'd you do that? Because we're dealing with it on a daily basis. We're dealing with it on a weekly basis, a monthly basis. This is a different situation. 
This is a son and a loving God that they have never one time faced the impasse of betrayal and heartache and disbelief. And the father's heart is actually just longing for connection with the son. Come on, he felt the sting. He felt the loss. I just have to believe that as he walked into the garden, there was this like recognition of something's different. Where are, where's my son? Something's different. Come on, guys, like you know what I mean. If the person that you're most intimately connected with in your wife, if y'all aren't good, there ain't nothing good in your world. <laughs> Say it half jokingly, half realistically. There's been times I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to, maybe it's lead worship or to walk into a business meeting, but I know that there's some friction between Michaela and I. The first call I'll make is to her and I'll say, hey, I just need to know we're good. I want you to feel the same urgency that the father feels as he walks into the garden. Son, where are you? The tether of our intimacy, it's gone. I don't feel you. Where are you? The father's correction is never separate from his desire for connection. Let's continue reading. Genesis chapter 3, verse 10. Same story. It says, this is Adam replying. He says, he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, and so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. And then listen to yet again another question from the father. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asks, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? I imagine the father's first question, who told you that you were naked, was met by a response Similar to this from Adam. And so he moves on to the second question. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? It's like he gave him an opportunity. He gave him a layup. Like, hey, just tell me what you did, son. Reestablish the connection. Tell me what you did. Come on, meet me here. Just tell me what you did. And when he doesn't, he says, okay, I'm going to take it a step further. I'm gonna ask you a question that really tells you that I know what you did, I just need you to. You ever bait your kids? You ever bait your kids? You know what I'm talking about? It's like, there's like half a candy bar missing here. I don't know what happened. Do you, Bella, do you know what, I don't know what's, she's got chocolate on her face and she's like, I don't ask Addy. She's, I, you know what I'm talking about. At least hopefully, or I'm failing as a parent. I don't know what's, <laughs> Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And then Adam goes to self-preservation mode in verse 12. The man replied, is the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. There's a dialogue. There's a pursuit of connection. Very, very graciously, the father is taking him on a journey of confession. A journey of confession to restore the connection. The father is guiding him in this process. 
I just sense it, man. I sense as I read this, the father's heartbreak. Yes, of the sin that was committed, the trust that was broken, the betrayal. But then this cultivated intimacy that we've been working on. Like we've been doing this for forever, Adam. Just tell me what you did. And then finally, it's like God had had enough, realized Adam was worthless right now. So he turns his attention to Eve. And he says in verse 13, the Lord says, Then the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied, and that's why I ate. <laughs> Find it very interesting. The guy goes into self-preservation and hiding. It was her fault. And she goes, I got deceived and I ate it. It's interesting. And then get these next words. I want you to pay close attention to verse 14. Immediately after, it says this, then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. The head is greater than the heel. They're gonna step on your head though you might strike their heel. It's pointing to the victory of Jesus. You might have some power to strike their heel, might be, feel like it's debilitating, but the reality is this, they're gonna step on your head. I want you to observe the order of operations here. It's the father walks into the garden. He asks questions of intimacy and restoration of contact. What happened, Adam? Tell me what happened, son. Did you eat the fruit? Yes, but she told me to. Eve, what did you do? I was deceived and the serpent lied to me, so I ate. And then at that moment, the father's attention turns not towards the correction and the discipline that is inevitable and necessary for Adam and Eve, but instead he says, Something's got to be made right. He turns his attention to the serpent and he says, you will crawl in the dust for the rest of your life. You will squirm on your belly. They will step on your head and you will strike their heel. Why did he not bring correction before reestablishing the connection? It's because he needed Adam and Eve to see, know, and understand at a core level. I cannot exist without connection with you. He could have jumped straight to scolding him. He could have jumped straight to get the heck out of the garden. You broke my rules. Go to your room and think about what you've done. But instead he says, okay, I now understand what happened. But you have to know that I have to uh, violently eradicate the source of the disconnect that we have. And it is the serpent. And it is the sin. And it is the shame that you have come under. The father's correction is never separate from his connection. He needed Adam and Eve to know first, hey, first let me restore us. We'll get to the discipline, we'll get to the, you broke my heart and you broke a rule and there has to be something done about it. We're not eliminating consequence from the arena. But what we're saying is this, is that consequence, that correction will never come without being first paired with intimacy and connection. The nature of consequence is to reinforce and to strengthen connection. Discipline in your home done the right way 
should produce repentance and connection. There's this fear with discipline in the household that it's gonna drive a wedge between me and my kids. It's, it's, the, it's the fear, like let's just be honest. There's a fear with boundaries in general. Talk about boundaries with your parents, boundaries with your coworkers, boundaries with your employers, boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. There is this fear of what is this boundary going to create by way of friction between us. I cannot tell you how many times I've, I've disciplined my kids. Those days where it's like exhausting. And you're like, I just don't, I don't, I don't wanna do this anymore. Please just do what you're told. <laughs> and then they eat the candy bar, right? <laughs> so there comes discipline. And I can't tell you how many times immediately after, the very first thing that they want to do is they want to crawl up in my lap and they just want to know like we're good. And immediately connection is restored. Because correction and consequence do not ever, under any circumstances, have the power or authority to create disconnection. Because of my commitment to them. And if my commitment to my kids, your commitment to your kids is that strong, how much greater, how much stronger is a connection from a father's heart who created everything, who created you, who knit you together in your mother's womb, how much stronger is the connection and the tether between? I wanna ask you this one more time, where are you? Where are you this morning? You lost in sin, and that's what you perceive is the reason for the disconnect? Are you lost in sin? Are you running in fear of what the Lord has asked you to do, but you just don't wanna do it? You just can't commit? Are you hiding in shame because of the thing that happened that you can't seem to forget or let go of, or people keep holding over your head? Are you hiding in fear? Are you plagued by insecurity? You walk in the room and you immediately feel like you're the least, you're the worst, you're the ugliest. Where are you? Are you shattered by disappointment of what you thought your life would be? Where are you? I hear the Father's heart desperately seeking connection, and he is ruthlessly eliminating the space between and restoring the connection that you were designed to walk in. God is a jealous God. Have you heard that before? Do you know that? God is a jealous God. There's oftentimes like a connotation with the word jealous, and it's a negative connotation. Let me just read the definition of jealous. It's vigilant in guarding a possession. Vigilant in guarding a possession. Or number two, intolerant of rivalry or unfaithfulness. The Dallas Cowboys play the Eagles today. I don't know if you know this or not. It's important detail. I told my wife a couple days ago, I was like, you're like, where are we going? Trust me, we're, we're going somewhere. I, I told Michaela, I was like, I'm gonna, I feel like just like in support of the Cowboys, I'm gonna wear my Cowboys jersey today. Like, I feel like I need to do that. And uh, if you know Michaela at all, in her loving, gracious, kind way, she goes, I don't think that's a good idea. I was like, okay. And she said, have, she said there's, there's two categories of people that wear sports jerseys. <laughs> She's so kind. Two categories of people that wear sports jerseys. One, 
they wear it and you're like, oh yeah, you get, like, you're cool. Like, you got it. The other category is white trash, okay? <laughs> and so she's breaking this down for me. And she, she, goes, she goes, babe, with all you got going on up here, you fall into the latter category. <laughs> I'm like. <laughs> I love it, and it's playful. Um, but I want you to observe something. I'm not wearing a Dallas Cowboys jersey today. <laughs> I even fixed my hair, trimmed up my beard a little bit. Oh, jealousy. I want her to like me. I will do anything to guard the connection for her to look at me and think, that's my man. You know what I'm saying? Jealousy. There can oftentimes be a negative connotation with jealousy, as in, I want what they got. Well, whenever there is spiritual, supernatural, good, godly jealousy, what it says is, hey, this, they are my, they're mine. They are mine, and I will protect them ruthlessly. And that is the type of jealousy that the Father has for you. That means he's jealous for connection with you. He's jealous for, for established union with you day by day and decade by decade. He's saying, just never leave to the point where I have to ask you yet again, where are you? Can you please just stay with me? Please stay in the shadow of my wing where I can protect you, where I can guide you, where I can help you. Stay. He is a jealous God. Exodus 34, 14 says, you must worship no other gods for the Lord whose very name is jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. Relationship speaks to connection. Relationship speaks to connection. He is jealous for connection with you. Let's go to like the most popular scripture on earth. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life, everlasting life. I don't know which version you'd be reading. Everlasting life, what does that speak to? Eternal connection with you. It's the design, it's the intention, it's not just the means, it's the end. Connection and intimacy with the Father. The nature of God is omniscient. My mom used to pray these prayers over me, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, and I'm like, don't know what that means, and I definitely know what that means. But I so value these prayers. Because what it means is this, the nature of God is omniscient, which means he knows everything, as in the story is told by an omniscient narrator. He knows everything. He sees the beginning from the end. And yes, he is omnipresent or widely or constantly encountered. He is widespread. If you're being honest with yourself, there might be some of you right now, whenever you hear that the Father's omniscient and he's omnipresent, there can be this thing inside of you that goes, yeah, but that scares me because there's areas in my life that I really don't, I, I really don't want him to be aware of, but then you know, but he's God and he's aware, but I definitely don't want to talk to him and I definitely don't want to be discovered and I definitely, like it's, you're creating a tear. You're creating a tether between connection with the father and he's just going, hey, I do know but he's offering you the same question that he asked Adam in the garden. Where are you? What did you do? Where, where, where are you? I just wanna be connected again. The omniscient and the omnipresent 
reality of our God should not strike fear in the heart of a believer. It should strike comfort in the heart of a believer that says, I'm known, I'm seen, I'm loved at my deepest level. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, I'm going to jump to verse 8. I, I told you all verse 5. I'm going to jump to verse 8 in Ephesians 4. It says this. This is why scripture says, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and he gave gifts to his people. And then it says, notice that he said ascended. That clearly means that Christ also descended or came down to our lowly world. And then get this. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens, get this, so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Why did he do that? Why, why did he fill the whole universe with himself? And so that he never had to live another moment, nor do you, where you're in disconnect from the Father. That means if you find yourself in sin, shame, regret, remorse, happiness, sorrow, victories, failures, mountaintops, valleys, wherever you find yourself, he ascended to the highest points and he descended to the lowest place because he so desires intimate connection with you. He tasted the sting of the disconnection in the garden. Son, where are you? He tasted the sting of disconnection and Jesus' death on the cross. Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? I don't feel you. I don't sense you. Where are you? That's why the story doesn't end there. See, Jesus paid for on the cross through death, burial, and resurrection, the establishment of eternal union with the Father so that we don't ever have to taste life without intimate connection with his presence. I'm going to read one more scripture as we wrap up our time together. Psalm 139, starting in verse 3, it says, You see me, you see me when I traveled, when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it? Lord, you go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. Behind, beside, before. This is the nature of our Father. He doesn't want you to live a life separate from connection of Him. Are you stuck in sin? Great. Stay in connection with Him. Allow Him to be a part of the restoration process. Are you scared to death in the season you're in? Great. Welcome them into that place. 
of established connection and stop pretending like you could actually do anything to sever the connection between him and you because the price was way too high. The cost was way too great and it's already been paid so you can stop pretending like you could create connection between y'all anyway. It's best just to welcome him into those places inside of you. He is behind us. He knit us together in our mother's womb, Psalm 139. He is beside us because he's an ever-present help in time of trouble, Psalm 146. And he's before us because the Lord knows the end from the beginning. That's Isaiah chapter 46. Height, death, mountain, valley, east, west, sin, not. Wherever you find yourself, there's actually nothing you could do to separate yourself from the intimacy and the connection that the Father desires for you. If you feel a disconnect, I will promise you it's not him. It might be your perception of him, but that is still your perception of him. Acts 17, verse 27 and 28 says, his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. I love this. Though he is not far from any one of us, in him we live and move and exist. I believe that it's just opening up your spiritual receptors to understand this. You're not far from him because he's not far from you. And that's by design. That's his design. Thanks again for listening today. If you'd like to join us in person for church, Renew Life meets every Sunday morning at the YWCA at 6501 University Avenue in Lubbock, Texas. For more information on our ministry, check out renewlifechurch.com or find us on social media. We hope to see you soon.